idea of, you know, what would it look like if Hope Covenant Church together, the family here, was so sold out for God um, that the community around us was talking about, wow, look what they're doing within the community. Look how sold out they are for this God that they believe in. I want to go check that out. And so we kind of talk, talked about this idea of, of what does that look like to, to have a church um, that, is, that is sold out for God. And I think that God's going to do something really cool here today. I think that he's going he's to challenge a lot of us in this room, myself included, um, just, just kind of working on this message and, and diving into Scripture. It's challenged me. Um, and so I, my hope, my prayer is that it challenges you as well. Um, and so before we dive in today, I want to share with you guys a little story of, of how I kind of got to, to where I am today as far as um, public speaking and, and, and giving messages to teenagers um, on, a, on a weekly basis. Um, when I was young, do any of your kids still do like Christmas shows at their public schools anymore? No, that's not a thing. That is so weird. Oh my goodness. So I grew up in Oregon, um, which is like an unchurched state, so you'd think there, of all places, would not have a Christmas, Christmas show. But um, as we were doing, growing up, every year, um, from kindergarten through sixth grade, we would get together, and each grade would, would put on their own like Christmas musical thing, and you'd go up and sing songs, and there'd be a, a show. And one year, in second grade, um, I actually got the role of, of the most lines in the Christmas show. And so I, I, this is just, I'm so pumped up for this. I, I'm excited because I got it out of like a hundred of my peers and friends. I'm like, oh yeah, I get to do this. This is going to be so great. And so I, I'm memorizing this for two months because it takes kids two months to memorize things. And after two months, we finally go up. And we're, we're, about, we're in a room about this size at the cafeteria at our elementary school. And we go up onto the stage. And as we're walking up, I'm, I'm kind of getting a little nervous, but I'm also like really excited because I've been working really hard, right? And so we go up on stage and we're up on the pedestals, um, up on the, what are those called? The, yeah, bleachers. Thank you. Man, couldn't think. So we're on the bleachers. And I, I'm staring up there with my friends, like, really awkwardly. I'm like, hey, Mom, you know. And I'm looking out at my mother and my dad, and, um, and the rest of my family is there, and the whole town is there. We lived in a town of, like, 3,000 people, no joke. So, like, everyone in town was there. And we're, we're sitting out there. I'm like, wow, okay, there's my neighbor and my other neighbor and every single person on this planet that I know in my second grade mind. <sighs> okay, I can do this. So we go through the songs, Song after song, and then finally my cart comes up, right? The big part where I'm supposed to go up and nail it, and I step down awkwardly, work my way through the bleachers, and, and I come down to the microphone, and I'm looking, and my teacher, the choir teacher is leading right there, and she's looking up at me, smiling her big smile, hoping that I don't mess up. And I stare out at the audience, and I look out, and this thing that I had memorized for, for two months is nowhere to be found in my mind. <laughs> I am looking out at this audience, and I am just thinking, oh my gosh, I don't remember what I'm supposed to say. And so my hands start to tremble, and my knees start to wobble, and eventually, I look down at my teacher, and I realize that she's looking at me, no longer with a smile on her face, but a look of panic, because apparently I'd been there, standing there awkwardly for a few seconds. She's looking at me like, come on, come on, and eventually she realizes that there's nothing going on upstairs. I am standing here in full panic 
so long that my teacher just says, just go back up. Just go away. Forget it. We'll just move on. And so I turn around. Tears start flowing down my face. Crawl through the crowd, back up to my bleachers, and I'm just sitting there crying for the next 30 minutes in front of everyone I know. From that moment on, I was absolutely terrified of getting up in front of, in front of people and, and speaking. So much so that um, you, you fast forward uh, through my elementary years and there were countless assignments that I actually took zeros on in the, in the public speaking section. Um, and, I, and I would just take like a D on the assignment so that I wouldn't have to get up in front of my friends and, and speak. Because of that one moment when I was in second grade, to this day, um, I went back to Oregon uh, this past summer and I went there for my, my best friend from childhood's wedding. She got married and her mom was there and she's like, man, are you nervous to officiate this wedding? Remember when you were in second grade and you totally messed up? <laughs> I was like, ah, okay. God did something in my heart um, from high school through college where he challenged me in ways that I, that I, couldn't, I couldn't fully understand then, um, but I know that I wouldn't be here today w- without God urging me and pushing me and me accepting that call. Um, me, me eventually manning up and saying, look, I'm not going to live by fear anymore. I'm going to live for you, God, in boldness and in faith. Um, and so today we're going we're gonna to talk about this message of, of what it means to be bold and to, to trust God. And here, here's my fear. My, my fear with today's message is that some of us in this room might take it as an attack. Um, you, you may receive w- what is said today as, man, what Anthony's saying, he's attacking me. Like, this is, this is, not, this is not what I want to hear right now. This is not what I need. This is not for me. I would hope that in that moment you realize that that is probably conviction. That is probably God working in your heart in ways that you can't fully understand right now. But he, he wants to do something cool, so let him. For the rest of us in this room, I hope that this message is incredibly empowering. Um, as it was for me as I was studying just the Word of God and seeing, seeing how God worked in the lives of the Israelites, I hope that it empowers you in the same way that it did for me. So um, we're going to open up our Bibles today to Numbers chapter 13. Um, we're going to go OT today. Um, and as we're turning there, I just want to pray really briefly um, just over what God's going to do. So Numbers chapter 13, verse 26, um, and then as you guys are opening, I'm, I'm just going to pray over us. God, Lord, I just pray um, over today, Lord, that every word that I say would not be of myself, um, that it would be uh, your Holy Spirit speaking, and that God, um, as much as you've convicted me through, through this reading, Lord, I pray that everyone in this room would would just hear these words and know that, God, you love us so much and you only want what's best for us and that we would be bold and and courageous in our faith. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. So uh, as we dive into the Old Testament today, we're going to be picking up uh, with the story of the Israelites. Um, And if you're familiar with them at all, uh, they mess up all the time. Um, They are just like continuously not doing what God told them to do. Um, And we pick up in a point in the story where they are about to enter the promised land. And a lot of you guys know this story, but I I think what what is really special about it is 
is God's kind of persona through this entire story. Um, So the Israelites are camped out uh, of the land of Canaan. And as they're camped out there, they're they're starting to get a little anxious, right? They've been wandering in in the wilderness for a while um, from Egypt. They've been freed from slavery and they're they're getting restless with God. They even once, they they complain to God, God, we're so sick of eating bread. Will you give us meat? And God's like, you you guys are so discontent. I'm just going to give you so much meat that you choke on it, right? And so God gives them so much meat, more than what they asked for. And then um, they start to complain, well, man, we just want to go into the land of Canaan. Why can't we do this? Um, but then they're like, wait, you know what? We should scout it out first to make sure it's safe. This land that God had promised them from the beginning, um, they had been so excited for. All of their lives had built up to this one point. And instead of just going in and trusting God, what do they do? Is they send people in to go and scout and make sure it's safe. And so that's what they do. They send in 12 members, from one from each of the 12 tribes. And these people, they go in and scout for 40 days. And they come back with this report. And that's where where we're going to pick up um, in verse 26. The, The 12 people come back and says, They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to, uh, to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Let's pause here. So they come back from this land, and they've been, they've been scouting for 40 days, and you can just imagine the Israelites at this point, right? They're sitting out there, and they are just waiting with anticipation. They are so anxious to get out of this desert and into this land that God has promised them is so wonderful and so incredible. And so these, these tribes, uh, the, the elders of the tribe who go and scout out, they come back, and the first part of the report is good. They say, look, it is flowing with milk and honey just like God promised, And here's its fruit. We we pluck some. It is good. But there's always a big but in these stories, right? There's a big old booty. And that's that's what happens here. They, They go in and they let their fear alter their decisions on how they're going to tell the Israelites about what the land is like. They let their fear dictate whether or not they're going to follow God. And so it picks up um, in verse 28 with that big but. It says, But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in uh, Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So they come with this big but. They say, look, it's good, it's great, but you don't understand. The people there are huge. There's descendants of Anak, which if you read Genesis 6, they're the Nephilim. They're half angel, half man, giants. It's what Goliath was. It's these beasts, these monsters. How are we supposed to face that? You don't understand people like this land is great, but God doesn't understand where we're going. Like he doesn't have it all figured out. Okay, we do. We've seen it. It's good. We can't go in there. Caleb, one of the 12, um, there's actually two of the 12. The other was Joshua, who, are, who remained faithful to God. One out of six, not a good ratio. But Caleb, he says this, and I think this is such an awesome 
depiction of what it means to be a Christ follower. He says, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. You notice how, how specific he was in saying, We can certainly do it. He doesn't say, We can probably do it. We can maybe do it. You know, I mean, he says, We can certainly do it. Why does he say that? Because he knows that the same God who parted the Red Sea for a million Israelites to go through, the same God that has been spitting manna at them from the sky, food from the sky, the same God that provided them with meat in the middle of the wilderness, the same God who has done these incredible things, freed them from the most powerful world power at the time in Egypt, is with them. Why should we be afraid, Caleb's saying, And he gets what the other men are trying to do. He's spent 40 days with them. He understands that they're afraid. They're terrified. But he says, no, 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 look, we should go right now before we make any dumb decisions to not go because we certainly can. If you rewind in the story when Moses first gets his call um, and, and God speaks to him through the burning bush, five times, five times, Moses comes up with excuses he says, look, God, I, why me? I'm not good enough. I'm wanted, I'm wanted to be put to death in Egypt. I can't go back there. But, but God, I, 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 I can't, 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 can't talk, talk good. God, I can't do this. But eventually, he realizes out of every response that God gives him, I want you to go back and read this. It's in Exodus 3 and 4 later. Do your homework. It's awesome. Every time God replies, he doesn't tell Moses that he can't. Every time God replies, he says, look, I know you can't. I know you are completely incapable and inept, but I can, so you must. Do we live our lives with this kind of call where we say, look, look, God, I, I get it. I cannot do this, but I know that you can and you will, so I have to. I was speaking... Um, some, a bunch of my peers, there were 200 college kids. Uh, it was the first time I'd ever done it. And <laughs> it, was, it was a college group that I went to. So these were all of like my best friends. Um, and this was a few years ago. And I get up to go on stage before I'm about to go speak. And I literally, as the worship song is ending, similar to how Ryan was up here, I am over a trash can gagging, dry heaving into this trash can, realize that the song ends. I'm like, okay, here we go. Get on stage. And it is completely gone. Because the whole time I was praying, God, just please, please would you just speak through me? He's like, I got you. Quit being afraid. Please, God, would you speak through me? Anthony, I got you. Quit being afraid. And I got on stage and it went away completely. That is not me. Trust me, if it were me, I would be vomiting the second I got on stage. But that was God. That was the Holy Spirit. Like, you guys realize, if you call yourself a Christ follower, you have God living inside of you. Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit descends upon you. You're baptized in the name of the Father and Son. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. Why do we live afraid as if we don't have God with us. Caleb's not afraid. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. 
And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. You ever been faced with something where you're like, I do not even, I, I can't even see an outcome where this is going to be good. And have you ever lived faithfully in that moment and just trusted God and then God does something incredible on the other side of it? If you haven't, I would challenge you the next time, man, you feel like God is calling you to do something wild and crazy. Maybe, maybe he's like, hey, next time you're on an airplane and, and you feel like God's telling you to talk to the person next to you about Jesus, do it and see what happens. It's an incredible experience. The first time I did it was in India. I was terrible. Like, I was so bad, but yet God like, still worked through that and did something in, that, in this, this woman's life that I was sitting next to. And she was so curious. I ended up giving her my Bible, and I'm like, I need this for this whole mission trip I'm about to go on, but okay, here you go. And I gave it up. But we have to start living like that, boldly. Every mission and vision statement for every single church, they shouldn't be different. It should be Matthew 28, 19, right? The, the Great Commission. Go out and make disciples of all nations. That's what God, Jesus calls his disciples to do. Go out and make disciples. Live boldly. Teach them to obey the commandments that I have given. But I feel like sometimes we get afraid to do that because we're not willing to risk our repu- reputation or our friendships. Would you be willing to risk your job for the sake of Jesus Christ? Now, it's easy for me to say because that is my job. Like, that's what I do. I'm just giving wild examples. But I think that's how God wants us to live, wildly. Not confined in our little boxes. I think that's where the enemy wants us, living in fear, in our comfortable little lives where we don't do anything boldly for the kingdom and and nothing nothing is ultimately accomplished. We can donate a few dollars here and there, but... Ultimately, we're not sacrificing anything. The Israelites knew that there was something to risk, and they're responding with fear here. Chapter 14, um, this, is, this is where it gets pretty heavy um, for a lot of us in this room, especially young families um, who have kids, and I'm terrified of having kids for this very reason, but um, let's, the Israelites don't respond very well in this situation. And if you know the rest of the story, they're banished to the wilderness for 40 years because of what their response is. So chapter 14. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Here we go. This is, this, is, this is the excuse that really does them over. This is the excuse that upsets God so much. It says, Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? It's the family first excuse, right? I think a lot of times we can think that the Bible is like, Oh, it's family first, you know, get your kids, uh, put them first, your wives, do that. 
No, it's not. What's first? God. And then you trust that God will bless your family because you are following him with everything that you have. What does Jesus, um, Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, the cost of being a disciple, right? And this is one of the hardest, hardest things to hear. It's so like in your face. It says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my, my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Cannot. There's not like, well, probably won't be one of my top disciples. It's, you cannot be his disciple. What does that mean? It means, in the face of adversity, are you willing to, to trust that God is going to bless you? Not, not materially, not monetarily, not, not with money or anything like that. But he will bless you spiritually if you choose to follow him with everything that you have. I think sometimes we fall into this trap here. We, we say, look, no, 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 you don't get it. I, I, have, to, I have to keep this, this job that I hate and I'm really not, um, I, I have to sacrifice ter- time with, with my church community and going out and evangelizing and I, I can't do that because I don't have time because I, I have to be with my job and the reason I have to stay in my job is because, you know, it's a very competitive market and, you know, if I don't stay in there, then I'll lose my job and I'll lose my life insurance and my family won't, won't be covered with health insurance and, and I won't be able to afford to get my kid into a, into a great public health care or a, um, a charter school or anything like that, a private school and if I don't get them into the best private school in the state, then, man, they're not going to get a scholarship and if they don't get a scholarship, then they're not going to be able to go to the best college college in the, in the nation. If, if they can't do that, then man, they're not going to get the best education. And if they don't get the best education, then they're not going to be able to get a good job. And if they don't have a good job, then they're not going to have money. Why do we think like that? Because we're afraid. We're afraid that God is not going to do what he promised us to do. What if we live so boldly and we are so unashamed of our faith that this community around hope they were like holy cow look what they're doing over there they are out evangelizing on the streets they are serving the community they are loving on people better than i've ever seen in my life there might be something to this god thing what if we got uncomfortable in 2017 what if we stepped out of our boxes and did something that pushed us in ways that we didn't think we were capable of because we're not without God. The, the consequences of the Israelites' decision, they eventually, they say this and God gets upset because he has every right to be. Um, and the consequences are threefold. Um, the first is everyone 20 and older um, was banished to the wilderness for 40 years. Um, and there, it was promised that all of them would die um, before they would be allowed to go back into Canaan. The second is, um, none of those people would ever, ever step foot. And the third is, their children suffered because they had to grow up in the wilderness instead of this beautiful promised land that God had given them and promised them and said, look, if you just trusted me, I could give this to you. And they had to go and fight their parents' battles. The battles that their parents would have fought 
but they were too afraid, they were too cowardly. The kids had to do it. Guys, I think we see a lot of this today in our society. I am terrified for my future children and the battles that they're going to have to fight with our culture and this culture of consumerism and materialism and entitlement. I'm scared of that. And I want to start fighting those battles right now. I don't want my kids to have to deal with that. All I'm asking is, man, can we do this together? Can we not chicken out like the Israelites use the family first excuse, put sports and school in front of God and cancel all of that and say, God, you are first and then trust that God, because you are honoring him, he will bless your family and your kids. Your kids will see you serving God and loving God and communing with God on a daily basis so diligently that they will be like, man, I want to be like daddy. I want to be like mommy. I want to do that. How cool would that be? I want to finish with a story. Um, I had the privilege of listening to just an awesome man with an awesome heart. His name is uh, Francis Chan. Um, he came and spoke at a local um, college conference. Uh, it's called Phoenix One down in downtown Phoenix. This, this beautiful building and sitting there with a thousand college kids from all over the state. Uh, it wasn't just one church. It was hundreds of churches pulled together um, for this event once a month. And he comes in and he's talking to us about living fearlessly and what that actually looks like. So much so that he gave up. He, he had um, this very, very large church that he was a pastor of. And he's like, we're really big, but we're not doing anything. So he left. He just took off and he's like, hey, uh, whoever wants to come, we're just, instead of like church service, we're going to go out and we're just going to serve the community. He's like, I don't know if this is right or wrong, but this is what I feel God is leading me to. And so they start this thing and at the local food, food shelter, they start this conference um, once a year where they, they bring in just whoever wants to come, thousands of people, you can fly in and you sign up for this conference and you go um, and they provide you with a meal and the whole point of the conference is you go out into the, the San Francisco area and you are serving the community, you are cutting hair, you're evangelizing on the street, you're serving food to the homeless, um, you're just going out and doing this for six hours all day. And then you come in, you eat lunch and then you go back out for three more hours. And he said is. uh the, the day before this event is supposed to happen, they're, they're at a food shelter and um, they're supposed to bring in their own food to provide lunch for all the people who are serving. Um, and they realize, wow, we don't have any food. Um, we don't have any money left to buy food for this. There's no, there's no meat. There's no anything. And so they get together, they pray, and they've been fasting for a few days now. And they, they pray and they're like, God, we just trust that you're going to show up. Um, we know that we're doing something here for your kingdom and that you, you bless you bless. Uh, so when that happens. And so what happens, two hours after um, they had figured out that they don't have enough, they get a call from the local Trader Joe's. They called the food market. Um, the power went out at Trader Joe's, and so they have um, six tons of meat that they can't sell anymore. And they said, hey, do you guys want this? And the food shelter was like, hey, do you guys want this for your ministry? Now that is God. What makes this story even cooler is the next year they decide to extend it to a two-day um, thing. And their cook, the guy who's in charge of that, um, again, this one was actually the day of. He comes up to him and he's like, hey, I've been rationing out. We only have enough food for one day. 
Um, so we need to either like split it or just like just do the first day and tell people to go find their own place the second day, um, do whatever. And they, they started praying and then they started joking like, oh yeah, you know, like God could never multiply food for thousands of people, John chapter 5. And um, <laughs> 30 minutes later, no joke, you can, you can look this up online, this actually happened. Trader Joe's calls said, hey, I don't know what just happened, but our power went out again. <laughs> this has never happened before, um, except for these two times. Well, anyways, we have this meat. Do you guys want it? <laughs> two times! That doesn't happen unless God is working. And you realize, you realize that stuff happened. Maybe you're looking at me and you're like, Anthony, I've never seen stuff like that happen. Well, it's because you're not doing what God called us to do. When you live faithfully, God does miraculous things. We went to India this past March, my wife and, and a team of missionaries, and we went over there and just to experience what they're doing over there. And the, this pastor, um, his name was his, Dr. Suresh Kumar, and he's very, very Indian. And um, he, he's over there, and he is just the sweetest guy and he understands how the Holy Spirit and how God's power can work more than anyone I've ever seen before in my life. So much so that I asked him, like, God, uh, Suresh, you, you know, you experience so many miracles here. You experience healings and, and exorcisms. And how does this stuff happen here? We don't experience that in America. And he says, it's because you are too busy for God. You are too busy for God. Wow. That, that hit me. I was like, holy cow. And you see the way that their culture works. They, they like their naps. But there's something about it. There's something where God can work in our rest and when we slow down and learn to trust him, even when things look impossible. Do you trust God? I want to um, give you guys a, a homework assignment. If you're a note taker at all, write this down. Um, is, is something for the next two weeks I would love for us just together every single morning to open up scriptures to Acts chapter 4 verse 26 through 37 and the first half of this is it's, it's these, these disciples these, these just people trying to figure out how to talk to people about God and they pray for boldness would you read over that prayer if any of this is, is reaching out to you, read over this prayer every single day and watch it transform the way you think about how you should live your life. And then the second half is how to live sacrificially. You see, the, the, it, it accounts of people coming forward in the church to the apostles and literally they would come forward with all of the money they had sold all of their land and their houses and they'd quit their jobs and said, we want to give this to the needy and the poor. And read over that and see if it challenges you to become more sacrificial in how you live your life. And I'm not talking about like, oh, give money to the church. That, no, like, it's not what I mean at all. Give it wherever. Do whatever. But how does God convict you to sacrifice things that you hold so dearly so that you can serve him better? Because we are created to glorify God. We were not created for him to make our lives fluffy and wonderful. One last quote, and then I'm going to pray. 
He's a martyr in World War II. He's a pastor. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I mean, he talks a lot about the cost of discipleship. And it's just a simple quote, but it, it spoke to me, and I hope it speaks to you. He says, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Let's pray. God, Lord, we just thank you for um, the grace that you show us on a daily basis. Lord, the way that you love us um, and you continually give us opportunities to, to serve you and, God, just to experience the blessings of that. And Lord, I just pray that together as, as a community here at Hope, and I, and I pray over the country as well, that we would become more bold in our faith, less afraid of the consequences to our reputation and, our, and, and what it may do to our families, but God, we would live boldly in you and trust that your plan is greater than anything we can understand. Pray these things in your name. Amen.